0: All right, well, good morning, Doxa. Uh, My name is Rudy. I get to be on staff here with Doxa Church. If you have a Bible, you can head over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 16 through 20, a short text this morning. Um, As you do that, I would love for you to just picture something with me. And for some of you, this won't be very difficult. I want you to imagine that you work at Epic. You just crushed an implementation, it's high fives and smiles all around, and uh, you head back to your workspace, and uh, an individual walks into your building and walks up to your floor and walks up to your workspace and kneels down and looks at you and says, great job. Hey, by the way, follow me. It'd be a little strange, right? It'd be a little odd to go down to the workplace. Maybe you're slinging coffee at Indy. I love Indy out on Regent. Big fan. I got a picture of it, literally, a picture of the front that some guys in my D group got me for Christmas because they're like, you go there a lot. And I'm like, I do. Um, it's great. Uh, so love Indy. Um, and you're slinging coffee at Indy and someone walks up and they say, I'd like a cup of the house brew. Of course you would. And, they, and you say, hey, would you like cream in that? And they say, of course, no. Um, and, and, sorry, and, and then they look at you and they're like, hey, uh, by the way, follow me a little strange. You're a student in your classes and someone walks up to you and at your class and says, follow me. And you're like, anything to get out of here. I'm kidding. No, but I, I, maybe you're a teacher in a school. Someone opens the door to your classroom. You just run your crew through arithmetic and they look at you and say, follow me. You're a nurse at Meritor and someone walks up to you through the, the halls of the hospital and says, follow me. You're up on cap square making deals, designing, staffing out offices. And Someone walks up and says, follow me. Like, what do you do? We just be honest, like that's a strange thing to occur. We gotta pay attention to that. It's gonna be right here in our text. You'd probably look at it and say, yeah, you actually can follow me to security because that's like an odd thing. That's a strange thing. And it's exactly what Jesus asks for men on the side of the Sea of Galilee to do today. I hope that was enough time to get to Mark 1, Um, but we're, we're gonna see it right here in the text. Mark 1, verses 16 through 20 the word doesn't do the work, then the work won't get done. This is on page eight, by the way, of your scripture journals, if you have those. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he Jesus, Galilee, sorry, he Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men, fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and Followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Enter into this scenario just for a moment, if you would. It's the first century near Middle East. You're by the Sea of Galilee. You're a professional fisherman. And this idea of being a fisherman is just in the family. It's what your dad's dad's dad did. It's what your children's children's children will do. This is the lineage and practice and profession of your family. Your life is simple, predictable. Love God. Love your family. Provide how you can. Enjoy what you can. It's a predictable life. You've got enough after taxes and you're skilled you know how to work the boat you know how to get it out into the sea you know how to hold it in one place you know how to fish you know how to bring them in you know how to sell them you you lead a team of co-workers or hired men and this is just your life family fish taxes right And, and then one day a man walks up to you while you're by the sea and he says these two words he looks at you and he says follow me what would you do like, what kind of invitation would that need to be for you to walk away from everything that you've ever known? To leave it behind and to follow him. I want to, before we go too far, I want to point out in advance, there are significant cultural differences between what's going on in, in this scripture, the culture of this text, and our present culture today. We'll note those cultural differences as we walk through the text. But I also want you to see very clearly that the building blocks of following Jesus are laid out in this text for these men are no different than they are for us. And we're going to lean into the words of Jesus that he says in this text. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, fishers of mankind with this one sentence. Jesus is making three invitations to them, three invitations really to, to us as well. Note takers, these are for you. First, Jesus invites them to himself. Second, Jesus invites them to a process of formation. And third, Jesus invites them to move towards those around them. He invites them to himself, invites them into a process of formation, and invites them to move towards those who are around them. We're going to work through these three building blocks. I'll give one final thought slash question, and then I'll take my seat. So let's get into it. First, Jesus invites them to himself. To grasp the significance, we really have to dig into what these men understood Jesus to be saying when he looked at them and said, follow me. This might be a little bit of a deep cut, but anybody in this room ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? All right, a couple fast hands on this side, a little slower over here. That's fine. Um, no worries. We, we like both sides of the room equally. Whatever. Okay, uh, there's this moment in the film, you may know it, we're a character by the name of Enigo Montoya. Inigo Montoya, you, you killed my father, prepared to die. Okay, like all that. So, so he uh, addresses one of the goofy bad guys, Vizzini, who keeps using the word inconceivable. He keeps saying inconceivable in really odd and, and non-necessary places. He's saying it just to say it. It's totally off, totally wrong. And Enigo Montoya looks at this guy and he says, "That word you keep saying, I do not think it means what you think it means. It is a classic moment in that movie. And if we're honest, in this room, we've all likely had moments like that. I, for instance, (laughs) used to say the word matriculate where I meant materialize. Those are not the same word. If you know what matriculate means, that's literally the process of getting into a college through admissions. I was trying to say came together. Not the same, right? I just had this, it was like a very public meeting, and I was very publicly corrected. It was hilarious, right? Way off, terrible. Um, This happens. And I think sometimes it happens with words we use in spaces like this, in churches. Words that are so commonplace that it feels odd to slow down and actually have the honest moment of saying, hey, I actually don't think that means what you think it means. Or the humility to say, hey, actually, I don't think I know what that actually means. We're able to address things like this. I think this happens with this phrase of Jesus when he says, follow me. I get really nervous Sometimes that when we use phrases and we use concepts without clarity, that that it has the tendency to confuse or to, to crush people. And as we read this text this morning, as we survey the gospels, the biographical accounts of the words, works, and ways of Jesus, you see, and if you were to continue reading, you would see Jesus consistently calling people to follow him. The repetition of this phrase, follow me, is interesting because as we see it over and over again, it should actually cause us to ascribe a degree of importance to it. And yet, We can look at it with so much familiarity and quickly say, yeah, cool, Jesus, got it, follow you, check the box, move on, what's next? So I want to slow us down, because maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe something more than a quick call and response. Perhaps this is important because they saw Jesus differently than we do today. Specifically, they would have actually called Jesus by a different title than we often do today. We have Plenty of titles for Jesus. We call him Christ, which is not his last name, as Nate talked about last week. He is the Christ, the anointed one of God. We call him Savior because that's what he's done through his life, death, uh, and resurrection. We, we lean into him as Savior. We call him Lord God, Son of God, because that's who he is. We call him Messiah because that's who he is. We sing about him in these ways because that's who he is. many names and titles for Jesus. Uh, they're really, really good, but curiously... None of these are the title that these men would have looked at Jesus through as he called them to follow him. When they saw Jesus, what would they call him as he called them to follow? Well, in roughly 90 instances of interaction that Jesus has with people across the gospels, about two thirds of the time, he's addressed by a very specific title, and it's the title Rabbi. Rabbi. Now, Rabbi means teacher. Jesus was an itinerant, Rabbi of sorts. It wasn't super uncommon. It meant that he would travel from town to town with a set of teaching, often referred to as the way of the rabbi, or, or in this case, the way of Jesus, that he would bring from the Hebrew Bible or what we now call the Old Testament. The title starts to help us understand why Jesus did what he did in some ways. The Sermon on the Mount is him uh, portraying his way. The Lord's Prayer uh, that he teaches his disciples would have been a, a rabbinical practice, a short prayer called the Hamidah that encapsulated the core teachings. Of the, the rabbi, so his disciples could constantly pray those things to God. This is the vocational role of Jesus while he walked these, the earth in his final years. He was an itinerant rabbi. He was a teacher, and if rabbis had disciples. So, the rabbi is a teacher. What is a disciple? A student. A student, in a sense, right? Um, We got to get a little bit technical on on this. Uh, It is a student, or maybe more directly translated, is is a learner. I I think this is helpful, but maybe not a complete picture of the disciple-rabbi relationship because of the way that student-teacher relationships are today. To say it in a sentence, a disciple was not just there for a lecture. They were there for their rabbi's lifestyle not just for the lecture of the teacher, but the lifestyle of their teacher. It was a desire to be with, to become like, and to do what their teacher would do. Maybe you're a student, or maybe you you went to some great schools, and you had great relationships with your professors, but it would still be an odd thing if you walked up to them, and you said, professor of OCHEM, a professor of Calc 3, or Lit, I don't just want your lecture, I want your lifestyle." That would be like a little strange. Like maybe you're here and you're a professor and a, teacher, a student comes up and does that to you and you're like, yeah, okay, this is my house though, so come visit me during office hours. This is weird, right? Like, like, like it, 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 it's a little bit different. I actually think an excellent term for a disciple in this relational sense is exactly what Jesus is asking these men to do, to follow A disciple is a follower, but not just any follower, a close follower. This word could be translated as strongly. When Jesus says follow me, it could be translated as strongly as cling to me. There's this old Jewish blessing that would be spoken to those who were chosen to be disciples. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It's saying, would you be so close to the person that you're following that you got dirty as they kicked up because of how near you are to them. Listening to their lecture and embodying their lifestyle. This is what it meant for Jesus to call them to himself. He's inviting them to be with him, to fix their attention, as Nate talked about last week, on him and to become like him. And I think a great example of this is seen through the actor Liam Neeson. Stick with me. In Batman, not the new one, an old one, Batman is discipled as a follower of Raza al Ghul, Liam Neeson. In Star Wars, episode one, in all of its cinematic glory, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is discipled as an apprentice to Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson. These are examples of discipleship. They take on the lecture and the lifestyle of the one that they're following so they can become like the one they're following, Liam Neeson, and his specific set of skills. I'm kidding. Okay, um, Jesus is calling them to himself. He's saying, take on my lecture and lifestyle. He is saying, come and follow me. This is incredible for them and incredible for us. We have this tendency sometimes to think Jesus says, hey, follow me. And then we say, yes, we want to follow you. Yes, like become a Christian. Follow Jesus. Put my faith in what you have done. And then we have this thought in our head that that, that Jesus says, hey, come follow me and figure it out by yourself. And Jesus does not do that at all. Not to them and not to us. He says, follow me, remain with me, cling to me, be with me. That's what's being seen in these two words, follow me. Now, in their culture, it would mean them literally leaving their job and following him. In our culture, it looks a little more like following Jesus for most of us in the everyday stuff of life. It means I take on the words and the ways of Jesus, his lecture and his lifestyle as I follow him here and now in my job, in my classroom, at my home, at my apartment, with my friends, with my family. It means that wherever we are, we follow him as we're there. In the words of Dallas Willard, it relates to following Jesus. He says the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep Jesus on the forefront of our minds. As our minds are fixed on him, his words, his ways, his lecture, his lifestyle, who he is, and what he's done, then in the everyday stuff of life, our constant question and our constant prayer will simply be Jesus, what does it look like for me to follow you here? It looks like for us to follow him. It's the first invitation of Jesus and the words follow me. Jesus Christ calls these men to be. With himself, to be with him, to cling to him, to abide, to remain with him. And as they were with him, they would become like him. Which brings us to our second building block, the second invitation of Jesus. He is inviting him into a process of formation. Now this may seem overly simplistic, but note takers, just to put it in a phrase, you could say it like this, that as they follow Jesus, he forms them. As they follow Jesus, he forms them. Look at the words that Jesus says in this text. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become. He doesn't say follow me and you'll just be fishers of men. He says, I will make you become. I want to camp here for a second because it's really important to articulate the distinction that Jesus is making by understanding what he's not saying. Jesus does not say, follow me, and you might be fishers of men, as if there's some uncertainty that he's sowing here and saying, you will need to prove yourself. He does not say, follow me, because you are already fishers of people, as if they have performed or earned their way into his good graces and attention. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Don't miss this. It's an invitation into a process of formation. I will make you become his formational language. The verb here is I will make Jesus as the active agent in making, building, forming, and shaping these who would follow him. As they follow Jesus, he forms them. And that process looks like this. That they are led from something and they are led to something. Again, very simple. Before we go too much further though. It's important to point out here that there is no question in the mind of Jesus or in the mind of those that are being asked to follow who is following who. I said this at Salt a few weeks ago, but just to say it again, following Jesus did not mean that Jesus became a part of their life, but that they became a part of Jesus' life. Jesus doesn't, hear me, Jesus does not become a part of your life because Jesus is not a part of anything. He's too great to be a part. He's too grand to be a part. He's too magnificent. He's too God to be squeezed in and shoved down to simply be a part. No, Jesus does not become a part of you. You become a part of him. The language of this across the Bible is that you would be in Christ, the beauty of it, you don't just become a part, he doesn't become just like a little part of your, life. it's not like, just think about it like this, like, like if your life was a bookshelf and you've got all of these books on the shelf of your life, you've got a book on family and on ethics and on vocation and on sexuality and on politics and whatever, Jesus is not just another book that you shove on that already full shelf. Jesus is the bookcase that holds all the books of your life. He's not just a part of you. All of that as you follow Jesus is a part of him. It means that the question isn't, does Jesus fit in with my life? It's, does my life fit in with Jesus? He doesn't just become a part of us. We become a part of him. We follow him. It's not about demanding that he follow us. It's not about playing buffet Jesus, where you get to just pick and choose. There is a singular direction. We follow him. And as we follow him, we are led from something. We are led towards something. As we follow him, we are formed by him. Let me lay this out for a moment. Everyone is formed by something because everyone follows something. Whether you are intentionally or unintentionally following something, there is some force or influences or set of influences in your life that have the gravitational pull on you to pull you into their orbit and form the way that you live, whether you're aware of it or not. So two questions that we all have to consider as it relates to this reality. Question number one. Can you articulate honestly the most formational influence or influences in your life? Like, could you actually sit down and say, these are the things that have formed me, that have shaped me into who I am. Like, let's just consider the guys in our text. There's at least four massive formational influences in the lives of the people that Jesus talks to that he's speaking to them in the middle of. The first one is this, familial expectations that formed the lives of these men and form our lives as well. Look at verses 18, verse 20. You see the name Zebedee. Zebedee being the, the father of James and John. What do you think Zebedee thought as he watched his sons walk away from the fishing enterprise that he'd got from his father, that he himself has built, and that he was teaching these two young men to lead? Jesus is... Asking these two people to follow him in the middle of the expectations that the family that they were a part of had on them. The massive formational impact on the lives of these men. And for us today, these same familial expectations and experiences can shape us so deeply. Familial expectations. Maybe it's just the idea of career. These guys had been learning how to be fishermen For years, It wasn't just going to be a job. It was their livelihood. It was their life. In this culture, you were actually known by your job. This wasn't just Simon and Andrew. It was Simon the fisher and Andrew the fisher. And these are not little. These are like significant operations. Just think of Zebedee. It says in the text, he has hired men. Like there are people on teams that they're overseeing and leading. This is an operation. And what they did was so formative of their lives that it was how they were identified by the people that were around them and the same thing can happen to us particularly in a city that elevates performance and upward movement over every other thing which brings us to the third one which is the city that they're in the expectation in the, of the culture, the city that they grew up in along the Sea of Galilee would have been significant. It would have shaped the way that they saw people. There was a sort of ethnocentrism that was sharpened by the colonization of this region by Rome. So you isolated to your clan, your community, your crew, and there can be this mistrust on anybody who is outside. And the same can happen in our city, with our politics, our preferences, our communities, deeply formed are the place that we are in. Familial expectations, career, city, maybe future. Their future was essentially set from before they were born. as the path that they would use to continue the family line and the family profession. Anything that messed with that future could be seen as a threat same thing that happened for us. Anything that messes with my 5, 10, 15, 20 year plan that is forming the way that I'm living can be seen as as a threat. That's what Jesus is speaking to when he says, follow me. He's talking to people who he's catching in this moment who have been formed over time by the family and the career and the city and the future that's been laid in front of them. And in the midst of that, he's saying, hey, follow me and I'll form you into a new way. Please don't dehumanize the people that we come across in the Bible. They are real people. He's got a real dad named Zebedee that really watched his sons walk away with Jesus. It is significant. Family expectations, career, city future. Maybe these are just a a few formational experiences that they had on the shore or that we have in this room. There's other ones that we have in this room. See, it's important to articulate because being with Jesus would not just mean that they would learn some things. It would also mean that they would unlearn some things. Following Jesus would mean they would need to unfollow some other things in their life. To embrace Jesus, there would be some things they actually needed to release. So that's question one. Can you honestly articulate what is the most formational influence or the formational influences in your life? The second question kind of comes off of it. how could you organize or orient your life to be more formed by Jesus than any other thing See, following Jesus meant they would be led from some things and toward other things and the same is true of us except in our situations learning how to follow Jesus we're trying to integrate that with still working for our father <laughs> or still working at the job that we're in Some of us integrating the place that we occupy in the formational nature of following Jesus in the everyday stuff of life because as we follow him, he forms us there. It's a blend of denial and direction. I deny myself, my sin, my old ways by the grace of God and follow the direction that he's leading by the grace of God. The invitation in these words, follow me, is an invitation to enter into a process where Jesus is making you. So how could you organize your life to be more formed by Jesus than any other thing? Maybe to answer that question, you need to practice something called a prayer of examine. This could carry you into and through the, the week. This is simple. It's just a practice of prayerful examination of your life. Maybe if you come back this evening, you could hold some space in the, from the 5.30 to 6.30 time of prayer here to be able to actually do this. I end my day often with this prayer. You walk through five movements, or I walk through five movements of this prayer. I begin by remembering the gospel I start with who Jesus is what he's done I remember that at the end of my day and then I go back and from remembering the gospel I reflect on the day from when I woke up to that moment the moments I'm really proud of the moments I was ashamed of and I walk through it I remember I reflect and as I come across those moments where I did not follow Jesus where he was leading me from something and I resisted or towards something and I resisted and I repent of those moments and then I look and see the moments where I did follow Jesus and rejoice in those moments. I remember, I reflect, I repent, I rejoice. And then it ends with the time and prayer where I request, where I simply ask God to help me to see and to know how I can organize my life tomorrow. To obey him so that I might more fully follow him as I'm more deeply formed by Jesus. As you do this, pay attention to what comes out of that prayer time. Listen, write it down. Ask other people in your connection group to see it with you. What would it look like to make adjustments in your life, in your schedule, in your leadership, in your rhythms, to more fully organize your life so that Jesus is the most formative influence in your life? What forms you deepest is what you follow the fullest. I'll say it like this. Jesus' invitation to make us, to form us into those who, form those who follow him, sorry, is an invitation to find a new place of belonging. What you belong to is what forms you. And Jesus is saying, follow me, cling to me, belong to me. John 15, abide in me, and as you follow, I'll form you. As we follow Jesus, he forms us. And what you may find as you follow him are what I like to call holy paradoxes. Instances where you'll feel like because of maybe where you came from or what's been a presupposition or something that he's leading you out of or something you carried in or a formative influence in your life where you're like, well, I, I think I should maybe do this or, or I should do this. And you're put actually in the context as you follow Jesus and he forms you of, of a holy paradox that you find that as you're with him, you become like him. And you've got the moment when you're like, okay, well, I'm in this conversation. Should I be compassionate or should I hold to my conviction? And the way of Jesus would say, you actually do both of those things. Uh, sh- should I be gentle in this moment or should I be strong in this moment? And the way of Jesus says that you actually should be gentle and strong. Humble or courageous. No, humble and courageous. Gracious or truthful. We follow the one who is full of grace and truth. Over time, this character of Christ is formed in us and we're led away from some things and towards others as we become like Jesus and he makes us. Uh, personally... Um, I've seen this over the last several years of following Jesus in my own life through um, the practice of confessing sin. See, I had this performative framework that shaped everything about me from when I was a child all the way up to and through when I began following Jesus the summer before my freshman year of college. I was hyper concerned with how other people saw me. I needed them to think that I was doing good, that I had it together, that I was doing well. I didn't need help. This was a soundtrack in my head. I didn't need help. I was the helper. That's where I was at. Super performative. Super performative. And I started following Jesus, and I imported that framework for life along with me, that formative influence for life along with me. And here's what happened. I started to think that it was more important to look like a Christian than to actually follow Jesus. And a key area where this came to a head was in the practice of confessing sin. I was fine to do it with God and so long as I wasn't with anybody else. But when it came to confessing sin in the context of community, one to another, James 5, 16, confess your sin to one another so you might pray for one another and be healed. I was nervous. What would they think? I'm a leader. I'm an intern. I'm on staff. I'm a director. And for some reason, all of those titles were more important to me than the the one that Jesus looked at me and saw over my life, which was Christian. I didn't want others to know I was struggling with lust or with anger or with pride or self-hatred or dishonesty. And what happened was I denied an opportunity for the grace of God to be on display through my confession of sin and need for prayer. I actually presented a way of following Jesus that was false, that was not true, by hiding that from the people that were around me. I was presenting that you had to be perfect all of the time to follow Jesus and not an understanding that you actually could confess your sins to him who is faithful and just and he'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. So as I followed Jesus, I had to unlearn this, unfollow this, I had to release this as Jesus led me from this and towards the freedom of actually being able to embrace and confess the grace that I myself needed day after day in the context of community. I saw more freedom from sin, but I also saw more opportunity for me to be able to share the gospel out of my weakness, to share that same grace that I needed with the people who were around me. It was an evidence that Jesus was making me, but he was specifically making me. In the same way he was specifically making these men as well, remember. Remember his words, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Jesus invites them to himself, invites them into a process of formation, and then he invites them to move towards those who are around them. This is our third building block. As these men are with Jesus and are formed to be like Jesus, they inevitably do the thing that Jesus does. The invitation to follow Jesus came to them on its way to somebody else. This is actually a fulfillment of prophecy from Jeremiah 16, 16. This chapter in Jeremiah that ends with the promise that God is going to restore, he's going to make a way for people who are lost in their sin to come back and be restored into a relationship with God. And, and as he says this, the prophet Jeremiah says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. Jesus is inviting these men to get in on what he's doing, the work of calling those who are condemned in their sin to be restored, to be with God. Please do not miss this. Their formation was a critical part of this mission. Jesus doesn't say, I'll teach you the skills of fishing. He says, I will make you to become fishers of men. He's saying, I'll give you the skills that you need. Sure, I'll teach you those skills, but I'm also going to make you the kind of person that fishes, Following Jesus would mean then that there was going to be a point in him forming you where you could not help but move towards those around you with the good news. I've wondered if perhaps there were times where I felt stagnant in my following of Jesus if it was because the next step of me following him was to move towards the people who were around me at my school or at my job. I wasn't always on staff at a church or across the street with the gospel and I just didn't. That I was a follower of Jesus and he was making me and a part of him making me was to make me a fisher of people but I resisted and my faith grew stagnant. Jesus was leading me away from something and he was leading me towards something else but I was actually sitting back and I experienced stagnancy there. You see if one side of the coin is that Jesus will often lead us away from things that were once comfortable. The other side of the coin is that he will lead us into things that initially also sometimes seem uncomfortable. As we follow him in those places, he forms us. As you follow Jesus and he makes you to become a fisher of people, there will be moments that will require faith and action where you will need to make an adjustment in your life to obey God as he accomplishes his work through you. And most often when it comes to this, the question that I get from people, as I sit across uh, coffee tables, specifically again, Indy, uh, and and share a cup of coffee with somebody, they ask me, well, where do I start? And the answer to that question is you start where you are. Maybe you're starting from scratch. You're like, I like, have to, like, just started following Jesus, and I'm starting to like, as I'm following him, he's starting to form me, and I like, want to tell people about this, but I don't really know how to do it. I don't really know how to say it. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says that since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Good news in that. If you know enough to believe, you know enough to speak you're familiar with the gospel maybe but you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel perhaps you're trying to move from normal conversation hey how was the bucks game to the gospel do you know where you're going to go when you, like like there's there's like feels like a huge gap between those two conversations and maybe you're actually looking for opportunities to move from a normal conversation to a spiritual conversation to a gospel conversation normal conversation in the everyday stuff of life as you're talking with people hey what are you doing this week what are you doing this weekend leverage the fact that you're a part of a local church to say hey i Actually, I'm going to go to this church, Doxa. Have you ever heard of church, been to church, whatever that might be? Oh, And get into that spiritual conversation that then allows you to actually ask the question, well, have you actually ever heard about Jesus or what have you heard about Jesus? And you start a conversation that gets to a point where you would actually be able to tell and share the good news of Jesus with that individual A normal conversation, a spiritual conversation to a gospel conversation. Maybe you get into those conversations and this is where you're at. You don't know how to make the invitation for that person you're talking to to take their next step to trust in Jesus or maybe they have a ton of questions and you actually ask them this incredible question where you get to look at them and say would you like to read the Bible with me Like it's an invitation to the next step maybe what stops you is the shame or insecurity that you feel around being a fisher where you look at yourself and say shouldn't I just be able to do this or I'm not any good at this so should I just do this at all if that crosses your mind I just want to be just tender with you for a moment and just dive back into considering for a moment that these guys that Jesus is talking to are all skilled fishermen and they became that way over a period of time. Have you ever stopped to ask that? Like, how did they become skilled fishermen? It looked like they were with their fathers who taught them the skills that they had, how to lead like they were leading, sail like they were sailing, fish like they were fishing, so their sons could do what they were doing. They picked up competencies, but they also picked up character. Have you ever been fishing? You can know what to do and you can know where to go, but can you wait? You can have all the competencies that you want. Can you wait? Competency, character. They picked up both as they watched their fathers fish. Fishing required patience and endurance, competency and character. In other words, they fished with someone and they eventually fished like that person so they could go lead the fishing operation that person once led. Does that sound familiar? They were with someone and they became like that person and then they went and did what that person did. The process of learning, skill of discipleship. The first time that I ever shared the gospel, I was so nervous. It was an absolute train wreck. I definitely forgot to say anything about the resurrection at all. Like, I get to the end of it, and I'm like, by the way, he rose, right? Like, it was, it was, like, literally, that's what happened. I I was in that space. But here's what I knew. I knew enough to believe and I was growing in knowing who Jesus was and what he'd done. And I just like, had this, and I'm like, i got to tell people who are around me. I wanted to demonstrate the good news of Jesus through compassionate actions. I also wanted to proclaim the good news of Jesus through clear articulation. Simply put, I wanted to fish. This is a part of what the gospel does. As you come to understand the gospel more and more, it actually compels you. It becomes this catalyst for the sharing of itself. as I followed Jesus and shared the gospel, these competencies were formed and this character was formed. And Jesus continued and continues to make me more and more into a fisher of people. You see, as these guys followed Jesus, they would be with him, be formed by him. And periodically, he would be, they would send, be sent by him to go preach the good news. It happens at least twice. And, and the third time, they're told to go and to pray and to wait. And they pray in this room. And the Spirit of God comes on them. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches. The church begins. And the word and the gospel spread from town to town, city to city, culture to culture, across the sea. And a straight line can be drawn from Acts chapter 2 to this room. So now we get to hear the same words that they did from Jesus. Follow me. Jesus inviting us to be with him, inviting us into a process of being formed by him and becoming like him, and Jesus inviting us to move toward those around us with the gospel. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. To get to tell those around us what Jesus has done and invite them to follow Jesus along with us. Which pulls me into this last thought. Which is really a question that I think Mark is trying to give a very clear answer to in this passage. Which is, who can follow Jesus? I was out on campus with uh, my friend Amos. And we were just walking through this text actually. Scripture, observation, application, prayer, like the whole thing. And, and he made a great observation. I just asked him, like, hey man, what's, what are you seeing in the text? Like as you read it, like what are some things that just come to the top? And he looks down and he looks up at me and he says, well, they're just normal people. They're just normal people. I was like, yeah, that's perfect. They're just, they're just normal folk. They're anyone. Because anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone. That no matter who you are, you're created in the image of God. No matter who you are, you're corrupted by the reality of sin. And no matter who you are, there was a certain need that each of us have to be saved by Jesus Christ through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that God so loved the world that he sent his sons so that whoever would put their faith in him, believe on him, might not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. So Jesus lived the life that we could not live. And he got up on the cross so that our sin might be taken from us and put Put on him, his righteousness and right standing and perfection before God put onto us. In other words, he became sin, so that though he knew no sin, so that we might become the very righteousness of God and Christ. He gets up on the cross, he dies for our sin, becoming our sacrifice for our sin, and rises. This is the part that I forgot. Three days later, victoriously risen, conquering sin, death, and the grave, so that we might have an assurance of life with him forever. We who would put our trust and faith in him and what he's done to confess that he is savior and that he is lord it's a beautiful reality anyone can follow jesus because he came for everyone the anyone on that shore and the anyone in this room and here's what i love about this moment these are not guys that jesus should have picked based on who they were and what they were doing but he did it anyways Think about it like this. Um, When Jesus looked at them in their boats on the shore, he saw who they were and he saw what they would become. He saw Simon and saw a fisherman, but he also saw someone who he would call Peter, later. He said, you're the the rock, Peter. He saw a follower. He saw a Peter who would be outspoken at times, but he also saw this Peter who make a confession that he was the Christ. He saw Peter deny him, but he also saw Peter coming to him to be restored. He saw him moving towards Peter on another shore a bit later after he rises from the grave and saying, you remember those words that I said on this shore? I'm going to say them again. Peter, as for you, follow me. He saw a pastor and a church planter. He would not be perfect. He would have weak moments, but he'd endure to the end until history tells us he'd be crucified upside down for following Jesus and for preaching the gospel. Jesus saw who Peter was, and he saw who Peter would become. Jesus saw what each of those men were and what they would become. And I love this because there are people who could have said, but... But I, but I'm a fisherman, but I don't know enough, but I denied you. But I, but I, but I. And there's no doubt that there's also some but eyes in this room because there's definitely sometimes some but eyes on this stage. And for every but eye, Jesus looks at you and says, I know. Every excuse you could give, everything that you think keeps you too far, too separate, too much, too long. He looks at you and says, I know, follow me. I know, follow me. You're like, just wouldn't it be like Jesus to like say, follow me, to form you, forgive you by what he has done, lead you from some things and to other things, and eventually bring you to a place where you actually are loving the person that you once were as the person you are now as you followed after Jesus? Like, wouldn't it just be like Jesus to do that? To actually say, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Maybe you think your butt-eye is too much. It's too much for God. Maybe too much for you. Maybe. Room this size? Some of you have come to this point where you're like, I've given up on me. I just wanna. What if Jesus hasn't? Like, you're like, I've given up on me. It's too much. It's too far. It's too great. The gap is too high. And what like you've given up on you, but what if Jesus Has not given up on you. What if what you think is too big of a gap, he's saying, I'm actually not finished with you? What if he's still making you, still inviting you to follow him and be formed by him? You may be tempted not to look at you and say that, but to look at a neighbor or a coworker or a parent or a child and be tempted to give up on them. Just in a moment of weakness and a moment of honesty to say, I don't know how that happens. What if Jesus hasn't? In fact, what if as you follow him that he is continuing to make you even in painful moments to become a fisher of that person? to form the competencies and character in you so that you might continue to share the gospel in your little corner of the world? What if he's making you a faithful presence for the gospel, a pillar in your workplace, patient and resilient, compassionate and convicted, humble and courageous, strong and gentle, gracious and truthful as you share the gospel with that person? What if the invitation to follow Jesus came to you on its way to somebody else? What if he's still making you? Two, two thoughts, and I'm going to take my seat. Number one, uh, Christian. Following Jesus is going to constantly put you at the intersection of hope and purpose. Hope where you look at yourself and say, in those weak moments, I don't know how you could do anything with this. And Jesus says, I know, follow me. I'm the savior of the world and I'm the savior of you, follow me. I've forgiven you that follow me, follow me, follow me. He's going to continue to ask you to follow and you're just gonna continue as you follow to form you. There is hope for you. And that hope is going to propel you into an opportunity to be a fisher of the people who are around you, the intersection of hope and purpose. So as you follow him, he will form you, form you into that person, a great way To pay attention to this, a great way to lean into this for a period of time as we go into this series is just pay attention to what Jesus does through the gospel of Mark. Just watch what he does, how he interacts. Watch how disciples follow after him, how they do it well sometimes and not so well at other times. Lock down on this series as we walk through this picture of of this very thing in the gospel of Mark. He'll continue to pull you to this place of hope and purpose. But if you're not a Christian... The thought that I've had for you, I'm honored that you're here and let me teach the Bible with you in the room. Um, I wonder if there's at least a part of you that just like wants this to be true. Like if there's a part of you that you've got questions and you've got inquiries and maybe you've been hurt or harmed or maybe you just feel so distant or so far, whatever it is. But maybe there's just a part of you that's like, oh, but I want that to be true. I want John 3:16 to, to, to be true. I, I, I want there to be a Savior who has come, a God who loves and cares and has made a way for me to come into relationship with Him through what He Himself has done. I want that to be true. Seeing out John 1, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the author says, But to all who did receive Him, and who believed on His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of flesh and blood, nor the will of the flesh, but nor the will of man, but of God. Saying that if you, if you want to be saved, you want to come 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 home. Here's what you need to do: you receive Jesus. It's not that you act right, it's not that you pretend and perform, it's not that you attend or show up, it's not that you give something, it's that you receive him. It's the simplicity of saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, I repent of my sin, I trust in you and who you are and what you have done. Don't worry about where you're starting from. These guys started on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, you're just starting in Madison, Maybe you don't feel like you know that much about what Jesus has done apart from that he lived, he died, and that he rose again. Well, good news. If you know that, you know more than these guys did. And you may think that you need to know more. Well, I've got great news. What you, all that you need to know is Christ and him crucified. And as you follow him, he'll form you. So today what's in front of you, if you're not a Christian, is the first step, which is to repent and believe, to receive Christ, Jesus, who sees you as you are and sees you as you will become. His invitation to you is the same as it was to these men on the side of a sea in the near Middle East. Follow me. Come home to me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for what you have done. God, I thank you for, for the invitation to follow. God, I pray that there be some in this room who would weigh that and who would choose to follow you, who would say, I receive Christ, I want to follow him, I want to make my home with him, I want to abide, cling to him, Jesus, you're the Lord, and you're the Savior. There's some in this room who are in that process of being formed, of becoming like you, and sometimes it feels great, and sometimes it's incredibly difficult. Holy Spirit, would you comfort deeply, but would you also give a clear picture of who they're becoming as they follow after you, Jesus? Would you please do that? And Father, would you help us to see the people who are around us. Would you help us to see how you are making us to become fishers of the people who are around us, how you're forming competency and, char- and character that, that we're becoming the types of people as we follow after you and as you form us? Jesus, would you do it? Would you help us to see the people who are around us? Father, I pray that you would move and act in their lives. God, that even as we start the conversation or try to move into the conversation, wherever we're at, try to start just wherever we're at, God, that we would actually walk in and see that you went way ahead of us, that you were already at work and already, already there. So Father, would you help? Thank you for your words. Help us to follow you. Thank you for your words. Help us to lean in, to continue to be formed by you and help us as you make us into fishers of men. We love you. Guys, we sing sing out of a gratitude that before we're offering this to anyone else, we've received it first. We heard it first. We are gonna confess who you are, what you've done, and live in response. We love you. That's in your name.